What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome to Episode 4 of Wannabe Walk-Ons, the official podcast of the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. I'm Drew, and I'm joined by a guy who brings his own putter to mini-golf. Ben? You think that's an insult, but I never miss an opportunity to work on my stroke. Yeah, I, I don't doubt that. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and steer this ship back into the harbor. Each episode, we will sample craft beers, both local and beyond, while sharing our unique brand of Husker Insight. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at wannabewalkons for the most up-to-date show information. And please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform or listen to each episode on wannabewalkons.com. On this week's episode, we will sample some beer from Scotts Bluff, Nebraska's Flyover Brewing Company while diving into the first half of Nebraska's Big Ten West schedule. He's Ben. That's Drew. And this is Wannabe Walk-Ons. So, Drew, before we dive into talking about flyover brewing and, and talking about the first half of Nebraska's uh, Big Ten West schedule, I have a question for you. Okay. Now, shoot. the Olympics has wrapped up, but I was watching one of the team sports with my family the other night. I think it was sand volleyball. And the question came up, let's say you're an Olympian, which shouldn't be hard to put yourself there, right? <laughs> really not, not too distant. Let's say you're in one of those team sports. My question is, would you rather lose the gold medal match and take home silver or win the bronze match and take home bronze? Like, would you rather walk away having lost or having won? I'm going to walk away having lost. Really? Yes. And here's why. No. Okay. Again, it's not too difficult for me to imagine myself as an Olympic athlete, <laughs> right? <laughs> if I come to you with a silver medal from the Olympics, yeah. that's impressive. Wow, how close were you? You almost had gold. Hey, that's really great. If I come to you with a bronze medal, I might as well not even have been at the Olympics. The bronze <laughs> is like, it's a consolation prize. It's, the, it's probably the dumbest award in all of sports. We left the bronze age a long ass time ago, right? It's I, not even I a good medal. I disagree so hard. I disagree. I would so much rather walk away knowing that I I won the last game. There's something about winning the last match. At the Olympics, it's not like it's not like that's going to carry you into the next Olympics. Like that winning the bronze isn't like you're going to ride that momentum 4 years later. I'd rather take home the silver, cry on the podium, but at least I feel like it's way more impressive than the the lowly bronze. I would so much rather I won bronze as opposed to I lost silver. All right, all right. No, I, I understand your point of view. It's wrong, but I understand it. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's move into something that we can both agree on, which is great beer. Today we're going to talk about uh, Flyover Brewing Company, which is out of Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. Have you ever been to Scotts Bluff before? I have not. That's like way out there. Yeah, from, it's it's from where my 
normal haunt is. Yeah, it's pretty far out there on the panhandle. Um, this is actually the furthest west brewery in the state of Nebraska. Um, they were the first ones on the panhandle, uh, but they are also the furthest west now. There are some other breweries that are on the panhandle, quote-unquote. Um, but Flyover Brewing Company opened its doors uh, in Labor Day of 2018. They're coming up on their three-year anniversary. They're co-owned by Joe and Andrea Margheim and Peter Meyer. And in addition to owning Flyover, Joe and Peter are also emergency room doctors. So what are you doing with your life? Imagining myself as an Olympian. <laughs> um, the brewmaster for Flyover Brewing Company is Derek Ordway. Uh, he previously brewed for Horse and Dragon in Fort Collins, Colorado. Now, Flyover got its uh, name from the term flyover country. Joe is a pilot. Peter has flying experience and both have a heavy, heavy uh, interest in aviation. So one of the things that uh, Flyover is known for uh, when you go to their brewery is an airplane wing that hangs over their bar. And they they got this. I really like the way that they phrase this. They got this from a uh, airplane graveyard in Colorado. It gives me images of like, do you remember in Lion King when they talk about the elephant graveyard and you have like the rib cage of the elephant? Like I just picture these fuselages that look like rib cages and you're like, you got to creep through and like, they're like, there's the good wing. (laughs) (laughs) Take it back. So two of the most uh, popular beers getting back on track are the Hellcat Hellas and the Nebraska Pale Ale, both of which are always on tap in Scott's Bluff uh, and you can find in cans. In fact, we're going to try one of those tonight. Now, Flyover brews both true-to-style lagers and ales, along with innovative locally-themed beers. They're proud, they say, to use equipment made in Lincoln, malt produced in Nebraska, and locally grown adjuncts such as sugar beets in their brewing. Won a lot of awards uh, for their beer, including medals in the Best of Craft Beer Awards for their Juniors Bach, German-style Bach, and the previously mentioned Nebraska Pale Ale is also an award winner. Um, One of the cool quotes that they had on their website and that they've kind of had in some of the interviews they've been a part of just says that they're located in a completely renovated building in downtown Scotts Bluff. Um, Beer enthusiasts can enjoy an atmosphere usually only found in larger cities while sitting on the patio watching small town life pass by. So if you find yourself in Scotts Bluff, make sure to check out Flyover Brewing Company. Drew, why don't you tell us about what we're drinking? Um, So we're drinking the, the Hellcat Hells. This is a lager that uh, it's usually a little bit on the sweeter side. It's a light lager, and so very approachable. It's a it's a thirst quencher. It's another like hot weather day type of beer, and this one's got a real nice sweetness to it, and uh, a little bit like a almost like a it would match well with something citrusy or yeah. has a citrus quality to it even. Orangey, but not the citrus kind of orange. Just that sweetness you get from that first bite of orange, a real crispness and like that. Just like yeah, it's ooh, not it's refreshing. not really actually fruity in in that way, but yeah, it's still kind of. That's kind of what pops to mind, I guess. Yeah. This would be something where if you went to a restaurant, you're like, you know, what reminds you of insert domestic? You can have a really nice beer made out of really high quality ingredients that tastes familiar, but elevates that familiarity. Yeah. Yeah. And you can, you can enjoy this one. It's, I mean, it's complex enough that it's, you don't necessarily have to just like pound it. Right. But it's also good enough that I totally did just. Yeah. So. I'm gonna, we're going to probably have to grab another one before we even get into talking about Illinois. Oh yeah, absolutely. This so. is, this is only the beginning. Yeah. So why don't we just do that real quick? Yeah. All right. So we are all reloaded and ready to go. Drew cheers. Cheers to you. Let's talk about, uh, the Nebraska big 10 West opponents. Uh, we're going to talk about the first three starting with Illinois, so take it away. All right. Break out the bubbly and pop the top, folks. Nebraska's season may not end with champagne, but it will definitely start there. On August 28th, Nebraska travels to Champaign, Illinois to open the season against the Fighting Illini. The Week Zero matchup is scheduled for High Noon on Fox, the same television network that drove Oklahoma into the loving embrace of ESPN and the SEC. 
If you leave Omaha at 4.30 a.m., you will arrive at the University of Illinois' own version of Memorial Stadium with enough time to pound a parking lot beer and find your seats before kickoff. 2020 saw the Illini finish last in the Big Ten West with a 2-6 and six record, securing wins over Rutgers and Nebraska. Uh, sorry, over Rutgers and Rutgers and fuck it. On December 13th, after five underwhelming seasons, the helm Lovey Smith was relieved as head coach. On December 19th, after a long six-day search, Illinois hired Brett Bielema to take over the football team in a triumphant return to the Big Ten. In his seven seasons at Wisconsin, Bielema went 68 and 24, including a two and one mark against Nebraska, and won back to back to back Big Ten titles in 2010, 11, and 12. In his five years at Arkansas, he replaced noted motorcycle enthusiast Bobby Petrino, and he also seemingly forgot how to coach. The 2021 season opener marks the 19th meeting between Nebraska and Illinois, with Nebraska holding a significant competitive advantage of 13-4-1, while outscoring the Illini 696-292 all-time. That said, last year's Illinois matchup, an inexcusable 41-23 loss for our beloved Cornhuskers, has many Husker fans feeling um, a bit uneasy heading into this game. Bielema has a history of besting the Big Red, but his diminished stable of talent may make that difficult in his first go-around as leader of the Orange and Blue. Will Nebraska pull off the momentum-building win they desperately need to kickstart a difficult season? Or will uh, Brady B just come in and ruin everything? We'll find out when the clouds part and football returns on August 28th. I cannot wait. Neither can I. It's getting so close. This is like... We're three weeks out. Whew, this is it is Chris. It's like Christmas all over again. It's you know, better than from, Christmas. From childhood. It's twelve weeks of Christmas. It's so good. It's so good. So we got some true or false, Drew. Why don't you start us off with the very first true or false of the day? All right, here we go. Everyone knows that power ballad pioneers Ario Speedwagon hail from Champaign, Illinois, and founding members Neil Dowdy and Alan Grotzer met while attending classes at the university. But Ben. Did you know, after Ario Speedwagon was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2006, the city of Champaign legally changed its name to Speedwagon for an entire day in honor of the band's success? I'm going to say false. It is false, because, okay. my God, could you imagine, like, <laughs> like there'd be, like, four people that were born in Speedwagon, Illinois, you know? No, yeah, there's, that's not true at all. Not only uh, did the city not change their name, but Ario Speedwagon is not even a Hall of Fame inductee, which <laughs> <laughs> is honestly kind of bullshit. Like, you had me sold on, on that part. Yeah. I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. well, because you would think that they would be. They're, yeah. I don't necessarily enjoy their music, but you know, I don't think they're great, but like, they have longevity. And yeah. they, influenced, they influenced music. Like, they created a whole genre. Yeah. So, I don't know. Coming next season, our REO Speedwagon tribute podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. What do you got? True or false? Tom Hanks's brother is a professor in the University of Illinois Department of Entomology. Is entomology the study of bugs? You're damn right it is. Is it? Okay. I'm going to say I'm gonna say true. I feel like that's so... Why, why, how would you just come up with that? You know, well, I came up with it because it's true. Nice. Yeah. So, Professor Lawrence Larry Hanks has been an Illinois faculty member since 1996. He is a noted insect expert and a world-ranked entomologist. Professor Hanks is best known in the entomology community for his postdoctorate study on the effects of pest borer beetles on eucalyptus plants. 
it is not common for him to mention his famous brother, but it is common for him to share pictures of his children on Halloween dressed as Woody and Jesse from Toy Story. Oh, man, how much does that hurt? Uh, Tom? <laughs> They're dressing up as Tom Hanks. Oh, I'm, I don't think it hurts that much. So there's, there's some interviews out there about Tom and his brother, and one of the really endearing stories is that Tom Hanks has visited his brother in Illinois in Champaign, and people will come up to him and go, oh, you're, you're Professor Hanks's brother, as opposed to saying, oh, you're Tom Hanks. So he is very well endeared and, and uh, loved by his students and things like that. He sounds like an incredible professor. Yeah, it's it's almost like um, th- this is the equivalent of Tom Hanks is the silver medal winner, right? <laughs> and his brother is this is the bronze medal winner because his brother is probably excellent in his field, right? Like top in his field, um, but still he's he's winning, but he's walking away with the bronze medal because you know. Wait, so who in the Hanks family is the gold medal winner? If Tom Hanks isn't winning gold, they're both gold medal winners in two different things. Like, they don't have to be, (laughs) one doesn't have to be silver and one doesn't have to be bronze. Yeah, they do because they have to be compared to each other because one is Tom Hanks' brother. If you don't watch movies but you study bugs, you're probably like, man, that Hanks, he's really something. He's the Tom Hanks of of his field. (laughs) So, Drew, Illinois, people are saying it's the most important game and a lot of media saying this is the most important game for Nebraska to kick off the momentum. The ladies at Barnes & Noble, when I bought my media guide, said we got to win at Illinois to build momentum going into um, our non-con. So, yes, it's an important game. But I also think it's a really interesting game, potentially for the future of the Big Ten. Like, What is Brett Bielema's team going to look like? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. I think a lot of people probably expected him to come in and and do like Wisconsin light, but he's brought in some coordinators, especially his offensive coordinator, that just doesn't line up with that Wisconsin philosophy. Right, Peterson coming out of Appalachian State runs more of a uh, power spread as opposed to a run it down the gut sort of Wisconsin big body offense. I mean, he's still going to run, but they're not afraid to air it out. Yeah, um, and so the big task for them. And something that they all seem to embrace, it's something of a coaching philosophy that they each seem to agree on, is that they want to adapt their scheme to their roster. And so I imagine like that's probably what they're going to have to do. The question is, do they have enough talent and enough pieces that they're going to be able to be successful with that? I think something that's interesting about that, their roster right now actually kind of fits that Wisconsin look. They've got a lot of veteran offensive linemen. They've got decent running backs. So they might actually have the tools in place to run a, a scheme that fits in with what Bielema was used to coaching at Wisconsin, and they might be able to be effective with that. They return more super seniors than any other team in the Power Five, and so they've got experience They've got a veteran group, and now they've got a coach who's won at the collegiate level. Not to put any shame on Lovey Smith. He's an excellent head coach. It just didn't shake out well for him. I think it's going to be interesting to see what does this offense and this team look like, and I don't think the answer is going to be the same from week one to week two to week three as they continue to grow and evolve. Yeah, they're gonna. I think they're going to really have to feel their way through this season and, and kind of decide who they're going to be, um, which will probably lead to some growing pains. I, I think they are really well-equipped to run the ball, Yeah. but it, if their defense can't live up to anything close to average, then they're going to be forced to throw the ball to be in games. And I don't know if they have the right players at, you know, at quarterback or receiver to do that successfully especially not early in the mm-hmm. season right um, so that actually benefits Nebraska I think we've got such a strong secondary and such a veteran secondary that having a wide receiver core that Illinois has that's inexperienced guys who are coming from a cornerback position or a quarterback position to play wide receiver 
they're not necessarily going to maybe be in the kind of groove they're going to find later on in the year, which is something that's completely normal when you're learning a brand new position. So Nebraska might have the advantage there if they can stop the run and let their secondary kind of play one-on-one with these guys and say, hey, my guys are better than your guys. And so we're going to we're going to stop the run completely and then we're going to show you how talented our secondary is. Yeah. So I think everything's shaping up to be a positive situation for Nebraska where they can put up points. I'm excited for this game. Next year, 2022, Illinois is not going to be the same Illinois we see this year and that both excites me and scares me because we know Bielema's more than capable of beating Nebraska. Illinois is capable of beating Nebraska without Bielema. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think long term I think Illinois is probably on a good path at this point we just happen to pick them up on on game one for for them and be together absolutely so do you have a prediction for this game yeah so i i do um in 2021 illinois will roll with the changes as they are riding the storm out in a transition year i can't fight this feeling that it's time for illinois to fly Maybe it's all in my dreams, but Bielam on the offense will take it on the run, rushing their way to four wins and a glimmer of hope for the future. That said, in their opening game against Nebraska, I think Nebraska rolls 41-20. to I think that we get up pretty big and uh, hopefully get to play some, some backups late in the fourth quarter. First off, now I'm actually concerned that you're going to go off and do an REO Speedwagon <laughs> tribute podcast. I listen Because that was... Beautiful. I listened to so much REO Speedwagon while putting this together. Well, I don't have anything like that about Larry Hanks, but <laughs> I have a similar prediction of Nebraska 42, 20, uh, Illinois 26. I think Nebraska is going to be able to put up some points. I think Illinois is going to be able to as well, um, but I think they're going to be later in the game garbage points when maybe we get some scrubs in there. I think Nebraska is going to really show up and, and show out. So I'm looking forward to this. Uh, I think it's going to prove a lot of things. For Nebraska, I think it matches up well. Uh, And all in all, it should be a great way to open the season. Agree. So let's move into Northwestern. On October 2nd, Nebraska will return to Memorial Stadium for homecoming after a two-game road trip to face off against the Northwestern Wildcats. The game is scheduled for 6.30 p.m. but has not been assigned a television broadcast. The Purple Boys of Evanston finished the 2020 season in an impressive fashion. They went 7-2, won the Big Ten West, beat Auburn in the Citrus Bowl, and finished 14th in the final college football playoff rankings. In the 2004 cinematic masterpiece Anchorman, Wes Mantooth, played by Vince Vaughn, says to Will Ferrell's Ron Burgundy, From deep down in my stomach, with every inch of me, I pure straight hate you. But God damn it, do I respect you. What does that have to do with this game, you ask? Well, the Pretty Kitties are led by perennial overachiever Pat Fitzgerald, who has coached Northwestern to multiple nine or ten win seasons, won the Big Ten West two out of the past three seasons, and is just he's just a damn good coach, and I respect the hell out of what he's done for Northwestern. A special note should also go out to Northwestern's now-retired defensive coordinator who ended an incredible career with his 400th win in the 2020 Citrus Bowl. Fitz works alongside loyal, salt-of-the-earth guys who know how to get shit done. Nebraska and Northwestern have faced off 14 times with Nebraska holding the slight advantage 8-6. Nebraska is looking to avenge last year's 21-13 loss and reclaim their place as the rightful owner of the NU abbreviation. All that stands in their way is a well-coached, disciplined team that rarely beats themselves and always finds a way to make it a game. How will this year's game measure up? We literally will not know until the clock strikes zero. And that's Northwestern, man. Okay, before we get into the true-false thing, the NU thing... I wish that Nebraska would drop the NU. 
I don't know if it was like Nebraska that embraced it or if it was broadcasting or where it came from, but that's not how acronyms work. Like we are we are UNL. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, it was on the helmets. Well, they did it wrong then. One that. equipment manager put it put it on there. Yeah, and it was like the butterfly effect and the history was changed forever. Or he like put the U below the N and he was like, "Oh no. <laughs> I did this on 87 <laughs> helmets." <laughs> and like no one will know. Yeah. Oh man! Anyway, I had to get that off my chest. All right, let's move on. Let's go to let's go to the true false. All right, kick us off. True or false? A scholarship certificate purchased as an initial fundraising effort for the construction of Northwestern in the 1850s can still be redeemed today. False. True. Damn it! This is this is actually fairly interesting. Um, so sold from 1853 to 1867 for 100 dollars. Perpetual scholarships entitled their buyers free tuition for themselves and all direct male descendants in perpetuity. After the university opened its doors to women in 1869, the provisions of the scholarship were broadened to include female heirs. Well, that was good of them. Fewer and fewer of the free tuition certificates are being used today because of the passage of time and strict regulations on their use. The most common of these problems is the failure of the original and subsequent owners to specifically bequeath the scholarship to a descendant in a will as required by the Office of the Financial Aid Guidelines set down in 1959. Another regulation includes the use of only one scholarship per generation. As of the last reporting in 2017, the most recent student to use a perpetual scholarship was a freshman in 2006 whose great-great-great-great-uncle paid just $100 for the scholarship. Holy damn. Accounting for inflation... The then 150-year-old scholarship saved the student $141,523 over the course of his four-year undergraduate degree. No kidding. Isn't that insane? That is wild. Northwestern, you would think they'd be smarter than that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they're doing okay money-wise. They are. They won't miss that $140,000. There have been so many people that have been hosed by this. You can tell they are a good law school because they're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> It wasn't specified here in Article B of Section 476. But yeah, for 100 bucks, which I think was about $1,500 for current inflation, would get you and any descendants. Any male descendants. At the time. At the time. When you purchased it, yeah. Full tuition. Oh, man. All right, what do you got okay, for me? All right, here we go. All right, Northwestern. Everyone knows Northwestern is historically a less than stellar program having the third worst winning percentage all time amongst current Power 5 teams, with a lowly mark of just 45.2%. But did you know Northwestern owns the record for most consecutive losses in Division I history? Most consecutive losses. I don't know if I buy that. My mind's telling me false, but I think it's true. Yeah, <laughs> if don't. that makes sense. <laughs> Listen to your heart. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to no, say, I'm say uh, false. It is. It's true. It's true. Damn they it. are there. So, okay. The streak lasted from 1979 until 1982. The 1981 team lost by an average of 40 points per game. Oh, my gosh. Right. It got so bad. It got so bad in 1981. Someone vandalized an Interstate 94 sign <laughs> by writing Northwestern Zero below it. <laughs> I have read that. I read that out loud like 10 times and I couldn't I cannot say it without laughing. I can't. Yeah. I like cry laughing cuz it's like like you if I was a Northwestern fan I'd be like that's good. 
That was a good one. Well, you know, a Northwestern fan is the one that did it. Like, because that's how else do you live through a losing streak like that? Without, also, that's a pretty damn smart joke. So I'm sure they. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was probably one of those kids. One of those kids on one of those free scholarships that he inherited from his great great granddad. What a, yeah. yeah. Historically, Northwestern, not great, right? But as you mentioned, Pat Fitzgerald has got this program, you know, rocking and rolling since he's been there. Um, he's established an identity and a culture and uh, a really just like a, a winning attitude. What do you think of them coming into 2021 off of a West Division championship? I'm a little bit perplexed on Northwestern and what to think about them right now without seeing them play. And I think that's a common thing for Northwestern every year is like, yeah, they might have to reload and they might have to fill in all these spaces that left and all that sort of thing. I am so friggin' happy, though, that Patty Fisher is gone. That guy has been at school for Northwestern for a decade, I think, and I just couldn't be happier to not have him as a linebacker for Northwestern. I'm going to probably hate the next linebacker that they have in there that that just fills every gap and makes every tackle and makes every play and coaches that defense on the field so well. And that's what Pat Fitzgerald does. I do expect potentially a slight drop-off this year in their defensive production, but they had such a strong defense last year that a slight drop-off is still something that anyone could strive for and will probably finish top 25. But with their new defensive coordinator, Jim O'Neill, I believe, I expect there to be a little bit of a learning curve. Northwestern's another team I'd want to get as early as I can in the season and let them have to figure their stuff out, especially with their quarterback play and their wide receiver play. There's a lot of question marks, but I have so much faith in anything that Pat Fitzgerald does that I just don't know. I'm on the same page as you. Um, You know, I've got them pegged at six and six this year. I think it's going to be a pretty up and down year with how few players they return as far as starters go how little production they return they're I think they're lowest in the big 10 with only eight guys in a year when when people are bringing back like 20 seniors I mean if anybody besides Northwestern you would think like this team's gonna go in the tank but yeah you yeah I've got I've got faith in Pat Fitzgerald too but that and and losing the DC in Mike Hankwitz he's been with them I think for 13 years he's got over 50 years of coaching experience that's a big loss and then also Northwestern their administration even got a little shook up and so Pat Fitzgerald is is at the center of a lot of big changes their success to me in, in 2020 came from the amount of experience that they had on that team from guys like Patty Fisher the leadership there they were they were able to navigate a storm that a lot of other teams couldn't navigate right and if you look at the Big Ten West standings from from last year you know northwestern's at the top and then it goes iowa wisconsin minnesota nebraska purdue illinois if i were to say hey what are the top cultures in the big 10 west what's the what teams have the strongest identity it's the same exact ranking for a lot of people i think i honestly expect a pretty big drop off from northwestern this year not only are they losing you know the dc like we talked about they're losing their top four pass catchers. The quarterback coming in, we think it's going to be Ryan Holinsky, who's another transfer. Northwestern's kind of got an MO where they they bring in a transfer quarterback, it seems like, every year. Even though they're able to recruit some good talent at quarterback, they're having to bring in these transfers. So there's yeah. some interesting question marks there for sure. And there's yeah, there's just no continuity there. And so again, like it's Pat Fitzgerald knows how to navigate weird things like that, right? Like this dude can bring in a new quarterback every single year and make it work. But at some point, like, I feel like it's going to become too much. I think this is going to be the year where it's too much. Um, so, again, I've got them at 6-6. Six and six. 
I think that they're going to have an up and down season, but I don't think it's going to be considered successful by their standards. Yeah, you know, I hype them up at the beginning there, but I I agree with you. I think there's a lot of areas where maybe Northwestern has weaknesses they haven't had as of recently. And so it is one of those things where right now, from an offseason perspective, I go, it's Pat Fitzgerald. He could go undefeated and I wouldn't be surprised. Like, well, that's just Pat. So even though I came out, high on Northwestern in that that's more of a preseason high and not seeing them play I think one of the things that's going to be challenging with Northwestern this year is we're not going to really get a good idea of how good of a team Northwestern is until they play Nebraska Uh, their schedule lines them up to where they're going to be playing Ohio they're going to be playing Duke they're going to be playing Michigan State so they're playing these teams that aren't necessarily world beaters they could have kind of sloppy games which Northwestern never really has under Pat Fitzgerald, but they could have games where maybe the scheme isn't set right or the team is not firing on all cylinders. They're still probably not going to turn the ball over very much. They're still not going to make those kind of errors, but we're not going to really know what kind of a team Northwestern is. And Northwestern may not really know what kind of a team they are until they take on Nebraska. That's their fifth game of the season. And I like where that fits then. I like Nebraska being the hardest challenge up to that point. And hopefully it's the hardest challenge by a lot. It won't be the hardest challenge Nebraska's seen. We're going to open with an Illinois team we know nothing about. We're going to have to go to Michigan State, and we're going to have played Oklahoma. So we're going to know who we are by the time Northwestern rolls into town. The question for Northwestern is them figuring out who they are. I think that Northwestern also, like they're just not explosive So on offense. So even if they do figure out who they are, they still are going to need a defense that is as talented or close to as talented as it was last year. Sure. In order to be successful. Just because, like, yeah, you can have an identity on offense, but, like, if you don't have big-time playmakers and you're not going off, you know, on, on teams every once in a while, I think it's a struggle. So, so I, got a, I got a good stat for you. Yeah, let's hear it. I love so stats. So over the last 10 games that Nebraska has played Northwestern, do you know the margin of victory between the two teams? It's got to be, like, two points. I mean, it's got to be tight. It's it is tight. It's not two points tight. It's 6.2. Okay. okay. It's a one score. It is a one score. And over 10 games, I mean, that's a pretty solid sample size. This is the year that changes. I've got Nebraska winning 31-10. I've got Nebraska winning this game convincingly. Yeah. you got them, like, shutting, shutting them down. I really do. This might be where people go, Nebraska's got something. This might be the game where... Husker fans and the media and things like that, because it, it is Northwestern. It is a team that demands your respect and your full attention. They're going to play a disciplined, sharp game, and you got to be an A player, regardless of if they have no wins leading up to you or if they're undefeated. I think this is the game that Nebraska focuses up hard and really puts a beating on, and we all feel good because, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of Nebraska really respects Pat Fitzgerald the same way that we respect Pat Fitzgerald. I mean, I my so my score is not as tight, right? Like I have him at thirty to seventeen, but it's more like a like a fourth quarter touchdown that finally we feel comfortable. I love I'm 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 one of those people that drinks the Kool Aid, right? Like I get so high on Nebraska, like sure, like I can imagine them being undefeated at the end of the year if I just like you know take the right avenue in my mind. But you know, but like when it all comes down to it, like like UNL has not yet shown that they can really separate themselves from NU on the on the football field and so I hope that happens I hope your scenario happens this year I hope we're five and one we beat down Northwestern because that would be incredible momentum for the back half of the season I just don't see it I see a win I just don't see it that comfortable yeah well I would still take 31 17 I mean even that knowing the margin of victory is typically 6.2 yeah I would I would absolutely take uh, 14 points 
So before we move on to talking about our next beer and moving into Minnesota, we want to take a quick moment to talk about our show partner, the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. As we mentioned at the top of the show, Wannabe Walk-Ons is the official podcast of the NCBG. The Guild is a professional organization that protects the craft brewing industry in Nebraska. The Guild's main focus is to encourage folks of a legal drinking age to drink Nebraska beer through promotion, education, and events. The craft beer industry provides over 4,000 full-time jobs and a $600 million economic impact in Nebraska alone. When you drink craft beer, you're supporting local small business, and that's a win-win if I've ever heard of one. If you're a fan of craft beer like we are, you can support the NCBG by joining the Nebraska Beer Alliance. Being a member gives you access to exclusive discounts, Nebraska beer merch, and members-only information. You can learn more about the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild, find local breweries, and join the Nebraska Beer Alliance by visiting nebraska.beer. Perfect. Cool. Two of my favorite words. Yeah, in Nebraska the same web and dot. Thing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on, uh, we're sampling some more flyover brewing out of Scotts Bluff, and we've moved on to their Blackbird Schwartz beer, which is a uh, black lager. It's a dark lager. And Drew, you really enjoy this one. Tell me this, what you think about it. Generally, you know, I lean towards ales. Um, over lagers and uh, especially porters and stouts, and so I I love big roasty coffee. I like I like bitter. This is a smooth porter, I guess if you want to call it a thin porter. It doesn't have the astringency that you sometimes get out of the the big roast flavor, but it, that that roast flavor is definitely there. Yeah, you can you can tell there's nothing artificial to this. That malt definitely has that toasted, really light, caramely flavor. Man, this is a really smooth, light, simple beer that just adds that roastiness on top of the, the Hellas. It's kind of a nice pair to have one after the other. It's cool to have so much depth to that flavor without being really filling. Sometimes that's a big complaint, right, that you get from drinking too many stouts or porters is it, it's like you're drinking a meal, you know, yeah. and, every, and this is, yeah, it's just a drinkable, drinkable beer, but still has like depth and complexity to it. I, I sometimes try and think, like, if I were to have this beer in the wild, would this be the first beer I had for the night? Would this be the last? Would these be crushable? What would I be looking at? And before we drank this, I was like, this would be my nightcap beer. This would be what I would end the night with. But because it is so light, this might be something that, like, I maybe wouldn't start the meal with. But when my steak comes or when my main meal comes, I'd want to switch over to this and have one or two while I'm eating because it is that full flavor and it kind of distracts your taste buds and you go back into your food or something else. And it brings both of those kind of two things back to life. So really nice beer, really great job. We've enjoyed what we've had from Flyover. Again, if you're out in the Scotts Bluff area and you haven't been there, or if you're traveling through, you see them in your liquor store or your grocery store, pick up some Flyover Brewing. They're fantastic. Yeah, they're wonderful. And this, honestly, I think this might be my favorite one I've had from them so far. Awesome. So moving along from some beer, let's get into a land of beer, um, Minnesota. And Drew, take it away with the introduction. On October 16th, the Huskers will travel to the Twin Cities to take on the University of Minnesota Golden Gophers in the newly named Huntington Bank Stadium. At this time, there is no set television broadcast or time, uh, but this feels like a 2.30 on FS1 kind of game. Minnesota finished with a 3-4 and four record in 2020, which in an ass-backward year was good enough for fourth in the Big Ten West. Minnesota's led out of the tunnel by, oh, look, look at him go. He's so fast. He's running faster than the players. It's Philip John Fleck in his fifth season as head coach. Prior to his time at Minnesota, Fleck spent 
four years as head coach at Western Michigan, where in his final season, he led the Broncos to a 13-1 season, with the team's only loss coming in the Cotton Bowl against Wisconsin. Nebraska and Minnesota have thrown down a total of 61 times, with Minnesota holding the edge 34 wins, 25 losses, and 2 ties. Last year, Minnesota stunned Nebraska when their COVID-decimated team managed to pull off the 24-17 win in Lincoln with barely more than a starting roster. With Minnesota returning damn near all of their production on both sides of the ball, they pose a significant threat to the West. With a little luck to start the season, the Golden Rodents could be ski-you-mying their way toward Nebraska on a five-game winning streak. Will Frost and the boys exhaust the exhausting fleck, or will the $5 Broken Bits of Chair trophy belong to Minnie yet again? Ooh boy, I'm not looking forward to this game. No, because uh, me neither, because I hate Minnesota. I, and, I, and I shouldn't say I hate Minnesota. Um, that's, that's way too strong. Lovely state. It's a great place to raise But that penis a in a party hat that they have as a head coach <laughs> is just... He's something. He makes him so unlike... Let's, before he we get is. into that, we got to do the true or false. So let's start there oh, and then God. we'll get yeah, into Yeah, we the, do get, we, we get ahead of ourselves. So you're, you're up first with All the right. true or false, Drew. What do you have for me? All right. True or false, penis in a party hat is the funniest <laughs> thing you can call PJ Black. <laughs> true. Yeah. Okay. Man. Everyone knows the rivalry between Minnesota and Wisconsin is the most played rivalry in FBS history, with 130 meetings between the two teams dating back to 1890. But did you know, prior to battling it out for Paul Bunyan's axe, the two rivals played for a trophy called the Slab of Bacon? Minnesota is known for stuffing their burgers with cheese and Wisconsin is known for their cheese. I've never known Minnesota or Wisconsin to be known for their pork products. I've always thought that Iowa was known for their pork products. So using that deduction, I'm going to say false. Uh, yeah, that is that is a true statement. They, they played for the slab of bacon. So what happened was the slab was a piece of wood that had an M or a W carved into it. Um, so depending on how it was hung up, you know, Whoever won it, they could flip it around. <laughs> this, this was a long time ago, right? This is before they had holographs and stuff. So anyways, the trophy got lost in 1943. So it got misplaced. And uh, in 1948, they started going at it for the axe instead of the slab of bacon. Eventually, however, that slab of bacon was discovered in a storage closet in Wisconsin. Ever since 1994, Wisconsin just kept it. They've just kept their they piece of kept wood. It. Yeah, they were like, yep. We're just going to keep this thing. I love the ingenuity of a W or M trophy. That's just a piece of wood. It's literally just a piece of wood. And it's like. But then they named it the Slab, the slab of Bacon. Of bacon cause, I don't know. Because they're from the Midwest. Well, look at that wood grain. Reminds me of bacon. <laughs> let's carve a. Let's carve a three in it with sharp edges. Is that a three or is that a E or is that an M or is that a W? Depends. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got? What do you got for me for true or false? Well, I have no trophy history, but here's what I do have. True or false, prior to intervention from the Minneapolis Public Library in 1894, if a child wanted to read a book from a library, they had to prove their literacy by reading a poem from the sitting poet laureate. Who was who was enforcing this this rule? The librarians. Fucking renegades. <laughs> That's got to be false. You can't make it. Well, yeah, ah, false. 
It is false. Okay. Okay. So children were allowed to read books. Um, I would, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, children were allowed to read books from libraries, but their choices were limited. The first collection of children's books in a library uh, began in 1803 when Caleb Bingham bequeathed a collection of 150 books suitable for children to the library in Salisbury, Connecticut. It wasn't until 1894, 90 years later, that the Minneapolis Public Library was the first to set up a circulation desk with a special attendant just for children. So there were libraries. It's just they had to go in and read adult books, and then they finally had children's books available in libraries. Otherwise, you just you had to buy books, I'm assuming, for kids. I would uh, guess so. I or they know. just didn't read. Maybe That too. With, I mean, played with sticks. I don't know what kids did yeah, back stick in the day. Yeah, stick and hoop. Where they hit the hoop down the street. There you go. So way to go, Minnesota, for increasing the literacy of our nation. Yeah, you done good. You done good. <laughs> so, Drew, what do we think about Minnesota heading into 2021? What are your thoughts on on this program? Uh, man, I am. I don't think I'm as high on Minnesota as maybe most people are. I don't think that they're going to contend for the West. Okay. Um. So I'll start there. I think they. I think they'll have. It'll be fool's gold. So I think they're going to have a really good start to their season. Um, just based on the way that their schedule sets up. But I think they're really going to have a tough time with their last few games, and that's going to completely wipe them out. So my reasoning behind that is that they they have a really great offense, right? They've got a ton of experience on their offensive line. You know, they can put five guys up there who, who have about 150 starts between them, roughly. They've got the running back of the year from 2020 in Muhammad Ibrahim. I think he's going to have a great year. And then, of course, they've got Tanner Morgan, who's shown what what he could do um, in 2019. You know, he's down in 2020, but he could have a bounce back year with them. So Chris Ottman-Bell will be the number one receiver, but, but who else does Tanner Morgan have to throw the ball to? Right. There's no tight end receiver core that's been established combined, Ben, combined in their entire careers. They have 18 receptions. This is between like nine guys. And so, yeah, so I, I think their offense will be good. But then the flip side of that is the defense, which probably is going to be abysmal. That yeah, I completely disagree to. with you on that. Oh, do you? Okay. Yeah. I've got, I mean, I've got, okay, so there's guys, right? Okay. I've got a couple of guys that I will mention. Okay. And I'm, I'm assuming they're going to be the same ones as you. Maybe. Niles Pinckney. Yeah. Who's a, who's a Clemson transfer. Yep. Okay. Statistically, not the biggest guy at, at Clemson. Right. But is a proven leader. Right. Okay. Boy Mafa. Am I saying that name? Mafe. Right? Mafe. Boy Mafe. Boy Mafe. A pass rushing specialist. Yeah. Okay. That's something that Minnesota desperately needs. Yeah. And he's a monster. Okay. And he could be a monster. He could have a monster season, but does he have enough around him? I mean, one guy doesn't make a team. The only other guy that I would mention is Coney Durr. Um, he's he's a cornerback. He's a little bit undersized. Twenty nineteen, he had a forced completion rate of forty percent, which is the best in the nation, mm-hmm. right? So he's he's got talent. The only reason I'm mentioning him, though, is I want him to have a personal brand of Coney Island. <laughs> You're rooting for that NIL. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's all about the NIL now. I don't even care how I don't even care how good his season is. I want him to have a personal brand of Coney Island. That's not a bad thing for a DB for, or a cornerback. Yeah, yeah like Remus perfect. Island. Yeah, Coney Island. Anyway, I got I got way off track there. <laughs> That's all right. Um, tell you tell me what do you think of Minnesota? So I really like their defensive line. I think that they've got enough returning, and I think with Boy Mafe and with the with the tr- transfer in with Niles Pickney coming in from Clemson, I think that they actually stand up to be a good line on both sides of the ball. And I think that great teams start with a good line on both sides of the ball. And so I'm more concerned about their offense 
being able to put up points because we saw what Minnesota could do with a depleted team. They could put up points. So I think if they've got their guys back that are in full swing, they can go for it and we hit them kind of halfway through the season, if not a little further. I think that spells trouble. Uh, you don't you don't want them to have momentum coming into your game. You don't want them to be on a win streak after maybe an opening loss to Ohio State or for whatever reason they catch Ohio State off guard in the very first game of the season with a brand new quarterback and all these new players that they had to reload. And now you've got an undefeated Minnesota with all the confidence in the world led by a guy with all the confidence in the world. That scares me. So I'm a little hesitant with this because I know Minnesota can put up points and nothing about their team this year says they're not going to do that again, especially with that downhill run approach with that veteran offensive line. So it's one of those things where it's less about the defense. I think if they have an average defense, this offense is going to win them a lot of games. I can see. I mean, I can see that. Yeah, I guess like I try to touch on, though, is is without a ton of proven receivers like can they push the ball downfield if the defense has an off day can they keep up in a shootout like I mean yeah probably with most teams but with the top teams you know like teams like like Iowa and Wisconsin with like great defenses they can they I think they can shut this attack down and then and then their offense is going to shine against this defense I just think it's a matter of when do you get them though when when do you have these wide receivers like if you get them early in the season yeah you're you're getting Minnesota in the best time right they don't have any proven talent guys got to figure out who's who who's the stud who's whatever but if you get them later in the season when they figure that out and PJ Fleck knows how to put together a wide receiver core he knows how to I mean he played the position himself he knows that position so I think he has more faith in those guys who might be unproven because he knows what it takes to not only do it at a collegiate level but at a professional level. Even though he was just on a practice squad. No, I, I, I know, I know. Like I understand, I understand why people are hyped. Like I understand like why you would would feel confident in Minnesota. I just don't have the faith in them. I don't know what else to say. Like I, yeah. I honestly, other than I, I know I'm incredibly biased against them. Sure. And so everything that I they make said, it so easy to be. God, I know. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, you can't listen to me when about Minnesota because I can't give you an honest opinion. I just, I tend to be on that scale saying PJ flex done it already. He's already gone and had his dream season. So what's to stop him from doing it again. And so I have the faith that even though I cannot stand him, he's capable. And so until I see this team come out on the field right now, I do have that faith that they're going to pull something together. What's your prediction? I, no, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to recover from hearing you say something in praise of, of PJ Flex. It wasn't in praise. I just don't want people to. It was pretty close to nice. So oh. I'm also the one who called him a penis and a party hat. <laughs> wow, that pendulum swings both ways. I mean, just every which way. So does a I, penis and a party hat. That swings with that gesture you just did. Okay. All right. All right. So I'm looking at Minnesota. I'm looking at their schedule, the experience, their ability to control most games. I think they're going to come in it with an eight and four record on the season, but I think they're going to lose their last three games. So even if things were clicking for them, they just run into a buzzsaw with Iowa, Indiana, Wisconsin. I think that closes out their season kind of flat, right? As for Nebraska, I I hate to say it, but I think Minneapolis is going to be rolling, right? I don't think they'll be undefeated. I don't think that I don't think they're going to catch Ohio State off guard, but I do think that they will be five and one at that point. And I think that they're going to be able to control this game, and they're going to win twenty seven twenty four. I agree with you on that front, and I hate it. Uh, I have Minnesota winning thirty seven thirty one. So I think I think 
in both instances, we're going to hate watching this game because it's going to be a close game. And I think Nebraska is going to have momentum. Uh, Minnesota is going to have momentum and it's going to go back and forth. And then there's going to be that play. It's going to feel like Colorado 2019 and just as good as a Northwestern win is going to feel the Minnesota win is going to hurt. Yeah. Yeah. And I could honestly, I could see it being like a deep ball, right? Like, or like, a, or Ibrahim ripping off a big run. Just, just one of those backbreakers. When you set bias aside though, like Minnesota's, I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah, I chalk them up for a win. Wow. What an end on a fucking downer. Good beer though. Good beer. So that's Minnesota. That's, that's our look forward onto that. But again, as we do these previews and these predictions, it's, it's more a matter of what have we seen from the team going into the season? And once the, once the season gets rolling and football starts getting played, these are all going to go out the window. And this is more just, you know, waxing poetic and trying to have fun with it. Once we see them on the field, it's going to be a completely different story when we go into these game by game previews. Oh, yeah. No, leading up to this game, I'm definitely going to predict a Nebraska win. Me too. So no doubt about it. I can't do that to myself again. <laughs> oh, anyway. So uh, before we say goodbye, we want to give you another chance to win our season long prize package. It includes a game-used Nebraska football and local brewery swag. For this week's entry, email wannabewalkons at gmail.com with whether or not you would win a silver or a bronze. Which situation would you prefer? Are you on Drew's side or are you on my side with that? Yeah, and remember that only one entry per episode, and you do have to be correct this week. You don't have you to have be to correct. <laughs> you t- there's no bronze, right or wrong bronze. answer. It, it is bronze. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Please make sure to include your first and last name in your email entry. We've received some of these already, and it's absolutely wonderful. We want to make sure we give this prize package away. It's full of a lot of excellent stuff, and it just continues to build. Yeah, all right. So that does it for this week. We want to thank everyone who tuned into this week's episode. If you have anyone who you think would enjoy a listen, we would truly appreciate your recommendation. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Wannabe Walk-Ons and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And remember to do your part. Drink local beer wherever you are. You can find more information on Flyover Brewing Company at flyoverbrewingcompany.com and check your local craft beer retailer for their canned offerings. If you have any breweries you would like us to sample on the show, please visit wannabewalkons.com to submit your recommendation. Tune in next week as we sit down and sample beers from Cosmic Eye Brewing and finish our 2021 preview with Nebraska's last three Big Ten West opponents. Thanks for listening, and as always, drink Big Red. Drink Big Red.